Welcome back to a special edition of Juno Beach and Beyond. I'm your host, Keegan Gingrich, and today we had the opportunity to speak with Al McAlder from Sherwood Park, Alberta, about the story of his father, Douglas McAlder, who is an infantry soldier with the Queen's own Cameron Highlanders at Dieppe. Not only was he a part of the invasion on August 19th, 1942, but Mr. McAlder was further captured and held for nearly 1,000 days as a prisoner of war, or POW, by the Germans. Today's conversation is a discussion about some of the things that he faced as a POW, as well as a conversation about the importance of memory and remembering the sacrifices that so many soldiers made on this day in 1942. This is the first time that Al has shared his father's story in such a public way, and I want to extend a massive thank you to him and his family for submitting this story. Al and I connected through the Letters to Dieppe campaign, one which I will briefly discuss before getting into today's episode. On the eve of the 80th anniversary of the Dieppe Raid, we remember the devastating consequences of this military operation. Mounted by Combined Operations Headquarters, the Air, Sea, and Land Force in charge of organizing raids on the coast of France, the Dieppe Raid occurred on August 19, 1942. A force of 6,090 troops would occupy the town of Dieppe, take prisoners, destroy the port's defenses, and return to England with German naval intelligence plunder, all within a single day. The operation was carried out primarily by Canadian troops with ground, air, and naval support from British, American, and other Allied forces. The toll of the operation, however, was devastating. 1,094 KIA killed in action, 3,219 missing in action, wounded in action, or prisoners of war. 4,313 total casualties for all services. In less than 10 hours of fighting, Two-thirds of a force of 4,963 Canadians were wounded, taken prisoner, or killed. In total, more than 900 Canadians were killed in action or died of their wounds, more than 700 of whom are buried at the Dieppe Canadian War Cemetery in Hutu-Sumer, France. To this day, Dieppe remains one of the most identifiable events in Canadian Second World War history. Over the last 80 years, Dieppe occupied a greater place in the collective memory of Canadians than the landings in Normandy on June 6, 1944 of D-Day. Our understanding of the intent of the raid has evolved over time. The Dieppe raid occurred during the darkest year of the war for the Allies. High losses during the Battle of the Atlantic influenced how combined operations would mount raids on the coast of France in the hopes to capture German intelligence documents that might help the Allies win the Battle of the Atlantic. Other interpretations describe the raid as a learning exercise for landing on an enemy shore or a response to the great pressure placed on Great Britain by its allies, the Soviet Union and the United States of America. This campaign is the first initiative from the Beechwood Cemetery Foundation, the Juno Beach Center Association, and No Stone Left Alone Memorial Foundation, collaborative partnership which focused on empowering young Canadians to remember and commemorate the service and sacrifice of Canada's military past and present. The initiative asks students across Canada to submit reflections on the following prompts. Why the Dieppe Raid is important to Canada in the Second World War. Did the Dieppe Raid have an impact on how the Allies would mount subsequent amphibious operations? How have the reasons for mounting the raid changed over the past 80 years? and reflect on the sacrifice of those brave Canadian soldiers and their families. A selection of the letters will be provided to the surviving Dieppe veterans here in Canada, 
while the remainder will be sent to France and placed at the headstones of the Dieppe Canadian War Cemetery. One of the letters which was sent to the organizers of the program at No Stone Left Alone was Mr. Alan McCalder, who provided a detailed account of his father's imprisonment as a POW following his participation in the Dieppe Raid. While it might have been an okay episode just reading this account, I figured it would be much more meaningful to speak with Alan himself about his father's letters and experiences. What follows is our interview from late July, where we discuss many things about his father's wartime experience and his own participation in remembering him and remembering all the soldiers who died at Dieppe. Once more, I want to say a massive thank you to Alan for speaking with me. This was a really great conversation and I really enjoyed myself and I found it quite powerful, a lot of the things that he was able to talk about um, in his own experiences. So thank you, Al, and thank you to the McCalder family for sharing the story with us. Without further ado, let's get into it. All right, Al. So thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, This is really exciting. I know uh, we were just saying how it's not too often that you get new stories of the Second World War, and uh, it's quite exciting to to be able to to talk about your father's story. So uh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. So one thing I want to start out by asking you is the motivations I, I think I was curious about with your father and why he would have joined up. Um, your, so your yeah. father, your father, Douglas, he served in the Second World War as a member of the Queen's Own Cameron Highlanders, and yep. they were based out of Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, mm-hmm. And you mentioned, I believe, in the brief that at the time of the Dieppe raid, he had been married for less than three years and already had a young child. So, and that obviously being your, your older sister, uh, Marilyn, yep. if I'm not mistaken, um, yep. what do you think motivated him to, to leave his family and friends behind? You know, was there a, a certain cause that he wanted to, to fight for, or was it family motivated? Um, I, I think, uh, interesting question because years ago I interviewed my mom and I recorded my conversation with her and I asked her that question, you know, about dad signing up. She said, you know, when, like when we were courting back in 38, early, early 39, dad was asked if he was going to join up. And he said, no bloody way. And, uh, and th- but yet um, he did, along with his four brothers. So all, all five sons served. But I, I think for dad, what, what makes sense to me is what Pierre Burton writes about in his book um, uh, about World War II, or sorry, about, pardon me, about the Depression, was that the Depression in Canada ended with the beginning of World War II. And the government, through the army, was offering uh, a living wage and that he could support him and could support mom. So there were financial reasons there. And and I also think, like my my grandfather, so my, my dad's father served in World War I. Oh, wow. Along with my dad's grandfather, uh, who en- enlisted quite the character, he lied about his age. He claimed he was 12 years younger than he really, really was. Um, I don't think he saw any action overseas, but but my my grandfather did. And so there was probably some family tradition there that might have contributed to my my dad's motivation. But, you know, like like the the photo that I sent along on mom and dad's wedding day, there's dad standing in his dress uniform with the Queen's own Cameron Highlanders. Yeah. So um, 
I, I guess, you know, there was probably some maybe a little family pressure there, but also I think economic pressure. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see how many people have very different motivations for for why they choose to join up. You know, some are yeah. some are obviously uh, recorders being you know raging mad that this whole sequence of events even uh, occurs in the first place, right? Um, yeah. Some family, some economics. So it's really quite fascinating to uh, to hear that. The I think the economic side of it, because in in a way, I feel like that's almost under under uh, reported in a way. That, it is, that it's yes. always about, you know, the passion for wanting to serve the country. And I think that's, you know, a very fair element. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, it comes down to uh, this is a very hard time. And it, it sure it's, was, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and not just for uh, for Canada, but obviously for United States and, and really everywhere in the world. The the period yeah. of the late 20s and the early 30s and actually yeah. well into the, the late 30s as well was, yeah, was a difficult right. time. So. Um, that's quite fascinating to hear. And if I remember correctly, you also said that your, um, I believe your mother's brother, so your uncle, uh, also served in the war as well. Is that correct? Yeah, that was his name was Ron Warner, and uh, Ron uh, was quite close to my dad. They exchanged some letters when my dad was a, a POW, and Ron was also close to my mom. And um, um, Ron served with the Canadian military during the Italian campaign. So the 1943, um, and then there was a, just a devastating battle in Ortona, um, in late, late 1943, early 1944. And that's where Ron was killed. Mm. And so the, um, I was able to obtain his service record because he, he died in action. And for me, the most moving document there was the telegram sent to his mom uh reporting his death and and i thought um so in in my my letter to this project letters to dieppe i tried to distinguish between letters and telegrams and letters were cherished telegrams i think were dreaded and uh, so and and uh and certainly in the context of my uncle. And also when my mom received word that my dad was missing uh, after uh, the Dieppe raid in 42. And, um, and I, I went over my recording with her and she said she felt lucky because she, she learned about two weeks later that he was actually captured and a POW, but still I, I can't help but think that two weeks today of not knowing if someone's alive or dead would be just heart wrenching. Yeah. And it's catastrophic, right? You think you don't get a text from somebody for a day. You don't hear from, uh, from your kids or your parents and you go, Oh, Oh no, is something, you know, something wrong. So it, okay. it's certainly a really important element. And actually I wanted to, to ask you about that. Um, because the letter writing is something that's very, again, talking about under, uh, underreported. I, I feel like it's, it's not stated enough how important letters were for keeping yeah. the morale of soldiers up. And yeah. so I'm curious to know whether you think that the letters written by your mother and uh, other friends and family and your uncle, even, I know you included a, a letter uh, from yeah. him to your, to your father. Did that play a significant role in his survival uh, for what was nearly a thousand days in a POW camp? Do you think that really impacted it? I, 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 I tend to think it did. It because it gave him a sense of hope and uh, like uh, here, here was here was my dad and for him when he was captured in August 1942, I mean essentially his war was over. 
Right. And it was just a matter of waiting and un, until when you never really knew and thinking like in his journal, he, he recorded, uh, you know, the first Christmas, Christmas 1942. He and he wrote, we'll be home by next Christmas. Hmm. A year later, we'll be home by next Christmas. A year later in 1944, we'll be home by when? And so, uh, but the, the, Communication and especially the photographs that that he received from home, uh, I think, really helped sustain him during those, as you say, almost a thousand days uh, as a POW. So, yeah, uh, and I I think letter writing cannot be um, valued enough in that context of keeping the spirits of one alive. Right. It, it was actually something that I found really interesting because I recently um, just completed George McDonnell's uh, book. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar. He fought um, at the Battle of Hong Kong and was taken as a prisoner of war uh, by the Japanese. Um, so very, very early on in the war and um, also was, you know, about a thousand days, I believe, more actually than that um, yeah. in, in the uh, the Japanese POW camp. And one of the central things, all, all the happy parts of that story seemed to be, oh, we received letters today. Oh, some of the soldiers got letters. And it just seemed to be this this spark of, okay, maybe I can just keep pushing. And for some of them, it was, it was very much enough. Um, and, and obviously, you say the pictures as well. I, I can't imagine uh, how inspiring that would be. Um, you know, in, yeah. in seeing the faces, especially. So it's, it's quite a striking yeah. element, I think. So it, it is. Yeah. And, and letters from home arrived months after they were mailed. And so, and, and I'm trying to th- put myself in my dad's shoes and think, you know, okay, so I haven't heard from my family for weeks, months. Are they okay? Right. And, uh, but still, you know, that you're clinging to hope that, yep, thing, things are okay back home. Yeah. Well, and one interesting element, too, is that obviously it's one thing when when soldiers are fighting on the front, they have maybe a more uh, regular access, let's say, to oh, yeah. two letters um, in comparison. And, and that's by no means suggesting that they regularly got their letters on time. <laughs> um, but being in a POW camp, do you and maybe you, you can speak a little bit on this. <laughs> Do you get any sense from his letters uh, that you've read or, or speaking with your mother that his treatment was particularly good in the POW camp? Was it not so good? Do, is there any sense of that throughout those letters? Yeah, well, that um, in the, his letters, well, his letters were censored. Right. Um, and which was so common. And so a lot of his letters to mom were very much the same. They were sweet love stories on one page. Um, and, but he occasionally would make reference to the, the medical treatment he got. So, so at the battle of Dieppe, uh, he was wounded in, in the hand and, uh, he actually required some medical attention in his journal. He wrote of some pretty fine medical attention from German doctors in German hospitals as well. And so I, I think medically he was treated well. Mm-hmm. He was he was worked hard uh, in um, his last uh, camp he was at was uh, Stalag 9C, which is in, near a small town called uh, Bad Salsa, just outside of Leipzig. But he worked in a salt mine. And oh. so he was underground mining salt. And uh, and that must have been incredibly hard laboring work. And there was no empathy for for you as well. So, 
So I, I think on balance, dad, dad was treated um, well. Um, and I think knowing he had a wife and a daughter back home, he, he probably, he, at least my thinking is, he didn't want to run the risk of, of trying to escape. Rather, I'll wait this out and I'll get home when I get home. Right. And obviously there are so many soldiers who attempted escape and some yes. some were very lucky and some were able yeah. to make it back to, to England and, and other yeah. uh, places of the Allies. Uh, some were also not so lucky and it was, it was mm-hmm. definitely definitely a gamble. Um, and that goes to show the, you know, the fortitude of soldiers like your father who were mm-hmm. able to uh, really just maybe grin and bear it, I, I think actually might be the, the best term and really keep their head down and, and say, you know what, I'm going to survive this thing. I'm really going to get through it. Um, exactly. And, and the interesting thing I found with that is um, at the end of, uh, of the document, you mentioned that he was uh, obviously liberated by uh, the Americans. And uh, he writes down the name of a soldier that you believe uh, possibly was uh, one of the soldiers who liberated him. Do you have any more information on that or perhaps a story about that? No, unfortunately not. Uh, um, I, I, at least it, I, I, haven't, I haven't delved into that angle yet. Um, the, the reason being is, is, uh, I fairly recently completed a family history that oh, wow. where, where my dad is the central character uh, <laughs> and, and it, it goes back to, well, there's a total of seven generations there. Um, and so my wife's probably thinking I'm, you know, after a result of this conversation with you, I'm, I'm going to have a new project. I probably will. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so there, there are some, some other stories that, that, um, I want to pursue, but um, not yet. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I'm curious about one thing too, and I know this mm-hmm. is something that has varied between um, so many different uh, folks who who fought in in the war, and especially the Second World War, is whether or not they um, throughout their lives they really talked about it or, or shared their mm-hmm. stories. And I know for for some folks it was obviously very difficult, and and a lot never never spoke about it. Um, so I'm curious to know what, did your father ever speak about his experience in the war or did it kind of take more doing more research on your end in, in maybe talking to your mother and looking into the letters that kind of gave you most of the information in the background? Uh, the latter dad, um, like his brothers and, and like some of his mates who he befriended, um, during his time in the war, um, dad only spoke with them about their their, their experiences. Right. And I think um, from what I've read based upon authors like Ted Barris, yep. uh, um, David O'Keefe, yep. um, I think dad was one of the guys who just, he, he, he obviously saw some horrors, especially running up the beach uh, on August the 19th, but they weren't things that he wanted to share with his family. And, and so in a way he protected us from that, but I fully understand that over a glass of whiskey with his, his brothers and, or some of his uh, brothers-in-law who also served, they would uh, share, share stories. And occasionally when I was a kid, you know, you know, you see the uncles gathered around there and you sort of wander by and you get shooed away pretty fast. Yeah. But, uh, and, and I guess I learned to respect that because it was, it was his way of, protecting us, but yet uh, finding support from from his brothers and his mates there as well. Right. 
Right. And obviously, and I mean, finding it almost in this way, in the uh, the journeyman's kind of researcher way of, of doing it now, I think it's very interesting, too, because it allows you to kind of put a, a almost a puzzle together in a way, in a, a cool kind of way. So. Yeah. Um, and, and you even said now that you're kind of pursuing, you know, some more ideas on this, perhaps in the future. Um, yeah. Did in this one, this question, possibly, I don't know if there's a, a specific answer that I'm looking for, but do you think it would have been better had you known about the stories from your father or do you respect it in the way that, you know, it did keep in that circle of his friends and, and those who he served with and that it's it's better to kind of go on this journey of uh, of discovery this way? Is there do you have a, yeah. a sense of that? Um, I, I have mixed views on that. I, yeah. I wish. My dad, my, my my dad passed away at 69, so he was right. relatively young. Um, I I wished I would have had the interest that I developed in this past few years to have had these kind of conversations with him uh, when I, when he was much younger and I was much younger. So uh, on one hand, I sort of regret that. On 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 the other hand, you know, I I respected my dad's. Um, point of view, like in terms of, yep, I, I did my thing. I served, I got captured, I did my time, but now I'm going to get on with the rest of my life. And so I'm very grateful for that. And so this, this journey of self-discovery for me and learning about my my dad and his time there. And then also um, part of it included, uh, you know, uh, 1996, uh, uh, my wife and I and our our lads were in Europe on holidays Hmm. And we invited my mom to join us for a week and we went to Dieppe. And I remember when I invited her, I, I said, Hey, you know, uh, has dad ever taken you to Dieppe? Uh, and she said, no. And of course I was too, uh, you know, I was, uh, I didn't think that why would my dad bring his wife back to a place of horror? Right. And, and so, uh, and so, just down the beach from the up, there's a small village called Pourville, and that's the beach where Dad landed. And we spent a day there with with our our, our two young lads, and my mom and I. I remember walking the beach with my mom, and and here's me trying to imagine what my dad experienced back in 1942. So, um, you know, there are moments like that 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 certainly I treasure because I could experience that with 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 my mom and and get her reflections on that as well so yeah it's always very interesting to hear about that too and and like i said so many so many folks have so many different experiences with with this right and you know i spoke to um a gentleman i believe two weeks or two weeks ago two (laughs) months ago now uh named don levers i'm not sure if you know who he is uh but he's i believe also based out of uh edmonton and uh his father also i believe served in um signed up in winnipeg if i ever if I remember okay. correctly yeah. um so he and anyways he ended up writing a book called our father's footsteps and he basically kind of went on a similar sort of journey and um discovered you know the the places where his father went and what he might have gone through and all these things yeah. yeah and one of the central questions that that we discussed in in something we talked about was the uh the what if moments of of his life and of his father's life and, and all of those things yeah. and, and and I kind of I think about this when I'm reading your father's story in that you 
put together so elegantly as well. Um, you know, of the 503 Cameron Highlanders who were landed at Poorville Beach on, on Dieppe, uh, 346 of them were casualties. So we had 60 killed in action immediately, eight died of wounds after evacuation, and 167 were prisoners of war. Um, and then of the 268 who ended up returning to England, 103 of them were wounded. There's obviously a lot going on there and a lot of different possibilities. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just curious to know if whether, you know, yourself and, and maybe not so much your father, since since you didn't really have the opportunity to, to speak about that. Have you ever really considered the the what if moments of, well, what if things had ended up differently? I mean, obviously, yeah. there are some some very uh, straightforward conclusions, um, yes. you know, that, that you you probably would not not be here. Um, but has yeah. that been something that you you think about or, or you know, maybe brood upon might be the right word? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think it's a valid question. And um, uh, I, I remember, um, like, as I mentioned, my dad spoke very little about his experiences right. in the war. Sometimes when he was in a particular mood, he would a comment would come out. And one comment I remember, and I'm not sure if he said it to me or to one of his brothers or whatever, was that when he was running up the beach at, uh, at the Dieppe raid, he was laughing. And he shouted out to his mates, look, the Jerry's can't kill me because and and well, why was that? Because he saw the, the machine gun bullets ricocheting off the stones. And and so I'm sure he was full of adrenaline at that time. But I'm thinking, had he taken a different path running up that beach? Yeah. I might not be here. Yeah. Uh, like I, I was born uh, uh, 12 years after the Dieppe raid. Right. And so it makes me very grateful that I consider my dad was lucky. He, you know, he, he showed tremendous courage and bravery, but it was lucky because he was captured and he was lucky because he was on, on par treated well enough that he was able to survive in almost a thousand days of captivity. Yeah. And he was lucky that he was liberated the way he was by, by the Americans. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, when, when I think about that, like, you know, I had, had sort of fate taken a different path, what might have been, you know, if dad was able to have escaped off the beach back in England for more training, I'm sure he would have been in the uh, D-Day invasion two years later and think, okay, what might that have been like? And so so in, in many ways, when I ponder that question, and it is, it's not a comfortable question for me to ponder, right. but it's like, you know, just be, be grateful, Al, that your dad's life turned out the way it did, and he got back home, and, um, you know, he and mom really did try to make the best of, that they could. You know, and here were two people, grade eight education uh, out of school, uh, blue-collar workers their, their whole lives, and yet they supported five kids. Yep. Um, three of them went to university and with, with, with their support. And so I'm, I'm extremely grateful for the, the opportunities that my dad was able to provide us, all because of maybe the path he took on that morning, uh, August 19th. Yeah. It, and it's obviously such a, a, a difficult question to answer. So I appreciate you you doing so. Um, it's definitely one that's, you know, takes a lot of uh, 
a lot of thinking about and it's it's it is very uneasy i think thinking about how many different you know small instances of your life might have changed how you know you got to this present moment um and it's never an easy thing so so thank you for for uh such an eloquent Mm -hmm. response to that um i have two more questions for you al and the first one is um what what do you remember most significantly about your father just in general doesn't have to be with relation to the war anything like a funny memory or something that comes up in your mind um and and i actually learned this from my wife and my wife and my dad had an extremely close relationship i was close to my dad as well but my my dad according to my wife and it's true my dad was a crusty old bugger (laughs) with a warm heart of gold and he uh, he really was and when i think back to how he supported other members of the family like his extended family or my mom's extended family or his own children how dad did that was in a very quiet way and there wasn't a lot of fanfare but but you you could always know that doug was there for you he didn't always agree with what i wanted to do or say like for example uh, the first car that i ever owned was a volkswagen beetle my dad had no interest in a Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> he probably saw enough of them. Yeah. But, but you know, but you know, he he helped out with me to buy my first car. But so, so dad was always quiet and in the background, but always helpful. Yeah. That's it's so great to hear too. And I think uh, people have so many different ways of showing you know, their, their affection and their everything for their family. And it's yeah. funny because I think about that and I relate it to my own family and I'm like, ah, I know the type, <laughs> you know, I know the characters yeah. or they're, they'll, they'll do yeah. anything for you. They'll give you the shirt off their, their back, That's but they great. won't, uh, won't make a big scene about it. I think is probably the, the best way yeah. to put it. So, yeah. um, That's- no, that's that's quite great. And and what did your father end up doing for work? Uh, I think he mentioned Air Canada at some point. Yeah, he was. Um, well, he was actually a finishing carpenter by trade. Okay. Uh, and then in the mid nineteen sixties, he was able to get on with Air Canada as a maintenance uh, guy, and so he actually maintained the interior of the planes. Oh wow! And so um, uh, you know, a, a little perk, he got some family passes there, and that enabled me, as a, as a teenager, to be able to travel to Alberta to visit my sister, my brother. And so, uh, you know, through, through, and then he finished his career with Air Canada in retired in 1983 and then only lived another four years after that. Wow. Okay. Okay. But a good, uh, a good life, would you say, Al? I would say a good life, but uh, too short. Um, uh, Mind you, you know, here's a guy, my dad smoked for 50 years. (laughs) <laughs> and so you know you know had he taken a little better care of himself uh he he probably wouldn't have died so young but uh you know like uh um and like so my dad's buried in 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 winnipeg okay and i still have uh, two sisters there and every november 11th they're out there uh they're out there on uh, uh, uh the day that he he passed as well to honor that anniversary and so uh paying tribute to um my dad paying tribute to other relatives who served and died uh is is kind of a big thing in my family yeah and it's great to be able to find ways to do that and i know november 11th is obviously such a uh 
such yeah. a big a big date for for everybody and so that's great that that you guys have this uh family tradition of of being able to yeah. do that and it's good uh good to keep that so my last question for you al um you know, obviously the the conversation that everybody's kind of having right now, it's the 80th anniversary of Dieppe, right? And that's coming up very shortly, um, obviously August 19th, and that's uh, very close. And actually, I believe I've scheduled it so that this episode will go up on August 19th. So on the anniversary of the Dieppe raid, people will be able to, to hear this. And so I'm curious to know your take on, you know, how vital is it that we keep telling the story of Dieppe? Because obviously this is not um, necessarily a, a cut and dry um, historical event, as maybe some other things are. Um, this is, uh, you know, a little bit controversial, and there have been, you know, so many different reports over the years. But yeah. how how important is it that we keep telling the story of, you know, what went wrong, and then also the sacrifices made um, at Diap? You know, what does that mean to you? Yeah, uh, yeah I think I think I, I appreciate your question, and you know, why is it important to tell these stories? Uh, um, well, I think for a couple of reasons. First of all, to remember um, this generation, like uh, my dad's generation, yeah. which which when I think about it, I think is one of the greatest generations ever in terms of what they experienced. They grew up in the 30s. They experienced the hardship, uh, the economic hardship. Um, many of the, the, the chaps experienced um, the horrors of war. They came home, they built better lives for themselves and their families. And, and so uh, the, the, the experience at Dieppe, I think, shaped a lot of servicemen in terms of, you know, like, I'm, I'm not going to let this get me down. I'm going to, if I survive this, I'm going to do whatever I can to make a better life for myself and my family. Right. There's that. Um, and then, um, uh, I guess also the importance of, of honoring, and, and for me, it really is an honor to, to pay tribute on November the 11th. And, you know, like I, I'm, I'm this year, uh, hopefully things work out. My wife and I will be in Ottawa oh, wow. uh, on November 11th. And uh, uh, first time ever for me to be there on November 11th. And this was a seed that was planted in my head years ago by uh, a former MP who said, Al, if you want to experience what Remembrance Day is really all, all about, be in Ottawa on November 11th. Then it's, he said, it's the most meaningful experience you'll ever have. Yeah. And so uh, we're, we're going to make that happen this year. So. Yeah. And it's good now that we're, we're kind of, well, maybe not all the way out of the woods, but we're, uh, we're looking like things are, are, are kind of getting a little, a little back to some sense of normality and it, it'll be, uh, be good to be able to do something like that. So that's great to hear. And obviously yeah. Ottawa's Ottawa's fantastic anyways, but especially yeah. on yeah. A, a date like that, being able to be there is, uh, very important. So, yeah. um, Al, this has been great. Um, what, what a conversation. I'm, I'm so happy that our, uh, our paths crossed and we were able to, to talk a little bit about this. Um, yeah. Is there anything else uh, you, you wanted to say about your father or anything about Dieppe or anything you wanted to add? Well, I, I, I still miss him. Yeah. <laughs> I think of him most days. And uh, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm grateful for, for what he was able to provide to me and my siblings. And I also wanted to extend a thank you to you and uh, the No Stone Left Alone uh, Foundation for this opportunity just to tell another little story about uh, uh, just an ordinary guy who served 
uh, Canada uh, during uh, World War II and specifically the Dieppe raid. Yeah, and if I haven't heard a better representation of uh, of folks going going and serving their country in World War II, uh, you have it right there. So that's probably the best you could say it. Um, yeah. Al McCullough, thank you very much uh, for joining me. Um, for everybody who's listening, uh, this will be up on the anniversary of Dieppe. So if you're listening to this. It is the anniversary of the Dieppe raid. Um, we will have probably a bunch of uh, content for you to check out. And uh, there will be a, a text post with a lot of uh, what Al has graciously provided to us um, to to share as well. And you can check those out as well. Al, thank you very much for doing this. It was my pleasure. It's, it's been an honor. Thank you very much. Thank you. Everything we covered today regarding the story of Douglas McCalder will be translated into a digital resource that you can access on our webpage. Alan has graciously provided us with a number of images, letters, and personal accounts for the Juno Beach Center to include on our website. I highly recommend checking this out, as Alan has put in so much effort into collecting these resources. It's not too often that we are able to discover new stories from the Second World War, and even less so that new stories can come from Dieppe. I'm really struck at how amazing this story truly is, and I hope that you were able to enjoy today's episode and enjoy everything that Alan had to say. I quickly also want to draw your attention to our campaign to send out Dieppe postcards to Canadian households titled He Lived Where You Live. Over 800 Canadians died as a result of the Dieppe raid. When a tragedy is so large, it can be hard to remember that each of these soldiers of Dieppe had unique personalities, occupations, hobbies, and families. In 2021, the Juno Beach Centre undertook a research project to keep the names and memory of these men alive. By cross-referencing the home addresses of all those Canadians who perished at Dieppe with contemporary addresses, it became clear that about half of them still exist today. At the end of July 2022, each of these individual addresses were mailed a unique postcard that shares the name and story of the soldier of Dieppe who lived there at the time of his enlistment. Be sure to get in touch with us if you've received a postcard as we would love to hear your stories. If you want more information on the Dieppe Raid, check out our digital educational resource titled Who Tells the Story of Dieppe, which provides lesson plans and learning goals for educators to use in the classroom to help students learn about the history of the Dieppe Raid. Further, make sure to check out our Letters from Dieppe campaign and many of the additional resources on our website. If you are interested in hearing our podcast discussions with the experts on the Dieppe Raid, be sure to listen to the Dieppe Enigma with David O'Keefe, as well as our podcast on our new temporary exhibit at the Juno Beach Centre titled From Dieppe to Juno, the 80th Anniversary of the Dieppe Raid. Each of these episodes will be linked in the episode description on our website. I also want to give a big thank you to everybody who listened to the podcast this summer. Uh, my time with the Juno Beach Center will be coming to an end at the end of August, and there will be a few more episodes that I've recorded coming out in the fall. Uh, but after that, that will be it. So thank you for listening to these, uh, especially the Witnesses to History series. I hope that you enjoyed them. Uh, I hope you were able to pick up a couple of the books that I recommended. And it was really just a privilege to be able to make these episodes for you and to work with the Juno Beach Center and so many great individuals. Uh, who helped to make this happen. So thank you very much. And I hope you've enjoyed all of these episodes. Until next time, I've been Keegan Gingrich and thank you very much for listening. Take care.